Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the Union label. That's to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the second hour of the Alan Nathan Show. I'm Karen Cataline, filling in for Alan today. I'm a, a commentator, com- columnist, or blah, 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 and all-around rabble-rouser. And we have our very first guest at this hour and a whole lineup of great guests. Our very first guest was a media advisor and a videographer for Senator Ted Cruz's 2016 presidential campaign. He is a filmmaker and a producer of documentaries, as well as political and foreign policy commentator. He's author of Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power, also director of the documentary Michelle Obama 2024. Joel Gilbert joins us right now on the Alan Nathan Show. Hi, Joel. Hope you've been well. Good. Great to be here. Great. So your supposition, cutting to the chase, is that Michelle Obama is running in 2024. Uh, Before we get to that, a lot of people find Michelle Obama to be kind of an enigmatic character. Uh, There's so many rumors that go on about her. Uh, (laughs) I've seen just a whole range of things. What are you privy to? And tell us what you see as the real truth, or at least some of (laughs) the truth about who Michelle Obama actually is. Well, yeah, there's two parts of Michelle Obama. There's the public character that she's been nurturing really for 15 years as this very sympathetic uh, first lady and someone who's always reaching out to minorities and women and building up her audience with them. She also likes to tell stories about how she overcame obstacles in her childhood with racism and people preventing her from doing things and standing in her way and holding her back. So that's the kind of the sympathetic character she created, and she was supported by uh, the media to a great extent. She's had 15 years of all positive publicity, hundreds of magazine covers, hundreds of talk shows. So she's pretty much the most popular person in America, if not the whole planet, from all this uh, marketing effort. In my film and book of the same name, Michelle Obama 2024, I actually went to Chicago and talked to her mother, her classmates in elementary school, high school, you know, principal, college, thesis advisor, you name it, three boyfriends. Completely different picture of Michelle emerges she was an elite uh, kid growing up. Her father was a precinct captain for the Chicago Democrat Party machine. And she really never was part of the black community growing up. She talked openly in her book tour about being afraid to go out of her house, getting beat up by black kids. They accused her of acting white and talking white. They called her an Oreo, meaning you're black on the outside, but you're really a white girl, uh, which was a big insult. So she really spent her childhood running away from the black community, going to these gifted schools. And then, uh, you know, she went to Paris with her French club at her exclusive high school in high school. And she went to Princeton, Harvard, got a job at this big law firm in Chicago. I found out one of her best friends was Bernadine Dorn, the uh, 1960s. I think we know that name. Weather Underground Carriage. 
She uh-huh. worked with worked with her for two years at Sidley Austin, and then Barack and Michelle would go to their house of Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers every uh-huh. week for years for dinners. So Michelle had a great deal of radicalization by these 60s terrorists, and Michelle learned what I call the politics of fear uh, from Bernadine Dorn. Michelle's used that word for word. So you have a very elitist uh, girl growing up who has nothing in common with black people who got jobs in Chicago exploiting the black community. She worked for the mayor of Chicago in the development department, and she was responsible for knocking down the projects at Cabrini-Green. Michelle made 20,000 black people homeless and told them, it's good for you. It's going to be good for you if we knock down your homes. And she gave away the, the land to these Democrat Party developers like Tony Resco. And then Michelle worked for the University of Chicago Medical Center, where her job was to prevent black people from the South Side from using their emergency room. Michelle would put them in these vans and dump them at these crappy neighborhood clinics. Uh, So Michelle always had jobs uh, paid a lot of money by white liberal elites to deal with their problems with black people. And Michelle Michelle told them, it's going to be better for you if we take away your health care. They couldn't hire a white person to do that. So Michelle always did that job. So you've got a, a person who spent her life running away from the black community, exploiting the black community. But in her political career, she pretends to be one of these ordinary black folks that she spent her life uh, running away from. couple questions, Joel. Can we back up a minute? When you said Bernadine Dorn and politics of fear, was that politics of fear on the offense to their opponents, or was it the politics of fear as a defense uh, and a rhetoric point. I'm. Uh, w- well, how does the, give us the context? Yeah, the politics of fear is something Bernadine Dorn talked about in the late '60s about how she described American free market society that everybody lives in fear of each other. We're all in these different tribes. There's a tribe of black people. There's a tribe of Hispanics. There's a tribe of whites, oh. and we're all afraid oh. of each other. So Michelle, which is Obama, what they've created, what the yeah, left continues yeah. to create, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and then Michelle. Michelle, word for word, mimicked exactly that Bernadine Dorn's rhetoric in the 2008 campaign. And to this day, she still talks a lot about fear. Huh. Yeah. Well, uh, we know as we watch them continually push their agenda that this divisiveness and fear is what they are indeed pushing. Um, Question, if you know, why did Michelle Obama give up her Juris Doctor? Um, there used to be a whole bunch of that. I know you did a whole bunch of stuff on, uh, 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 let's see, Dreams for My Real Father and a book that you wrote. What's the story, if you know, why she would just give up her law degree or her, um, was it, a, you know, a member of the bar or what? Yeah, I, I, I know, know about that. Yeah, I found I, I communicated with the Illinois State Bar on that and I found out the story. Michelle was working for the uh you know, Sidley Austin law firm for almost two years, and it was uh, 14, 16 hours of work a day, and then it was just so much work. She didn't like being a, a full-time attorney. So when she got a job with the mayor's office at uh, working with Valerie Jarrett, she no longer needed her law degree. And then after that, she got a job as a community organizer for three years with Public Allies, which is a radical left uh, group. So Michelle realized she didn't need to maintain the law degree and have to attend courses every year and pay these fees. Oh. But she she wasn't going to return to full-time law practice. So it was out of her own convenience that she decided oh. to really, she put it on pause. She didn't actually give it up. 
Didn't Obama do the same thing? Uh, I think when he became uh, president, he did that. He did. Um, So you say that she's going to run for office, which is a pretty big prediction. I guess we'll find out eventually whether you're right or you're wrong. But why do you say that? She doesn't seem to like a whole lot of work. Uh, of course, she could get a lot of people to do it for her. Uh, what uh, what makes you so certain that she's going to be uh, the the real nominee? Because a lot of people don't think, despite Biden <laughs> saying he's definitely running, most people don't even believe that he'll be the candidate, regardless. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Democrats, the Democrats don't want Biden. And uh, I think he just threw up that video because of RFK Jr. He wanted to kind of freeze the field so no one else would join but uh, I've been following the Obamas for years, and several years ago I noticed that Michelle Obama was following the exact same formula that Barack had done to become president. Barack had a voter registration organization in Chicago called Project Vote before he got into politics. Four years ago, Michelle started When We All Vote, and she's been running around the country registering voters and going to swing states, very well funded. Uh, Barack based his candidacy on his personal story, his book Dreams from My Father, Sure enough, Michelle has now written two autobiographies, Becoming, which is a book and a best-selling book and a Netflix movie, and she just wrote this new one called The Light We Carry, another big book tour, and she's got another special with Oprah on Netflix. And lastly, um, you know, Barack was the keynote speaker for John Kerry at the 2004 Democrat Party convention. The keynote speaker is the one who introduces the candidate and who they think will be the nominee at the next convention. Sure enough, Michelle was the keynote speaker and introduced Joe Biden in 2020. So I see Michelle as uh, doing the same formula that Barack did, keeping a very high profile. She was just in Barcelona the other night singing backgrounds with uh, Bruce Springsteen. She's speaking at a Wall Street Journal event this week. And she's just a political animal. Ever since she was four years old, her father was a precinct captain working for the Democrat Party machine. So she's been political her whole life. She grew up in Jesse Jackson's house with her, with his daughter, Santita. You hear that music. I'm yeah. so sorry. I want to give you time to tell everybody how they can connect with you and uh, get your book. Yeah. Go to SalemNow.com, SalemNow.com for the movie, live stream, or DVD, and Amazon.com for the book or DVD. Joel Gilbert, thank you so much for joining us, Joel. Always a pleasure. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about a, oh my goodness, hot topic. Don't have time to tease it. Stay tuned. You're going to want to listen to this. Karen Cataline filling in for Alan Nathan. I'll be back. Spring is here. Time to get out of the gym and take your workout outdoors. Whether you're walking, running, swimming, or biking, it's important to have a proper warm-up routine to prevent injuries. Five-time Ironman triathlon world champion Craig Crowey-Alexander has some advice. Sprains, strains, and injuries can happen to any athlete. Even a minor injury can affect your performance and derail your fitness routine. One of the best ways to try and prevent injuries is to make sure you prepare properly. Alexander recommends always starting with a 10 to 15 minute dynamic warm-up. Activation exercises combined with some dynamic movements like lunges are great for warming up. Focus on one specific movement at a time until you feel ready to go. Be sure to listen to your body and use proper support gear when needed to protect yourself and prevent injury. The Curad Performance Series Ironman lineup includes rugged supports, wraps, kinesiology tape, bandages, and analgesics to support you on your fitness journey. For more, go to curad.com. 
This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Back to the Alan Aiken Show. I'm Karen Cataline filling in for Alan today. And our next guest is going to talk about something that ought to put a lot of people's hair on fire uh, because many people say we're living in a surveilled society. Well, that's part of what she's going to talk about. Senior editor at The New American. She started there in 2009. And before that, she worked in the public and private sectors. Her name is Rebecca Terrell. Rebecca Terrell joins us right now on The Alan Nathan Show. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Karen. It's great to be here. Good to have you. Um, When I hear stuff like that, this, that I'm about to say, it just, I don't even know where to begin, and I want to give our audience as much information and facts as I can. You wrote a book 
uh, excuse me, he wrote an article in the New American that says blacklist of the unvaccinated is Big Brother tracking you. Wow. Um, a vax that many, many people, even some who took it, have concluded was neither safe nor effective, but the government still wants to know and identify who took it and who didn't. Why and what's the evidence that that's actually going on? There you go. Well, it isn't any kind of speculation. We do know that they have uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has uh, implemented new diagnostic codes. And this is what, um, you know, at your doctor's office, whatever you're diagnosed with has a code that goes with it that they um, submit to insurance or to Medicare or to Medicaid for payment. Right. And these codes are all maintained on the International Classification of Diseases, which is a medical list that is actually maintained by the World Health Organization. All of these things are just red flags, red flags, red flags. Right. But they have they have three new codes now that specifically mean Z twenty eight point three ten means you're unvaccinated for COVID-19. Z28311 means you're partially vaccinated. That means you haven't been fully boosted. And then they have another designation that is an umbrella for uh, vaccine deficient in other diseases. And that's Z28.39 means other under immunization status. So right now, and, and besides that, in those codes is also encased the reason for not getting the vaccine. If you did it because you have religious, um, you know, denial because of it. You have, if you're a parent that refused to get your child immunized, there's a special code, Z28.82. That's immunization not carried out because, so see, they're tracking not just who is and isn't, but why, the reason behind it. And, you know, people, you know, the fact checkers are going to say, they're just doing this, they're not doing it to track individuals, they're just doing it to chart statistics and, and things like that. Well, you know, we have plenty of pharmacovigilance data already ex- in existence in the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, theirs. They're yeah, which they're ignoring. ignoring it. Right. <laughs> they're ignoring so, you know, it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So why should we believe that they're using these codes to just do an yeah. overall t- uh, tracking? And besides that, we know, too, that the, the agencies that have implemented these codes have specifically said, no, we're using this to to track people who are vaccinated. Uh-huh. And people who aren't. Uh, right. And you go on in your article, which we're not going to focus on, but I just want to let people know because they really do need to read this article in The New American. You go on to point out all the people that have been persecuted because they refused the vaccine. In some cases, they were denied life-saving uh, surgeries and uh, transplants because of it. And here's a big question I think a lot of people may want to ask. How are they deciding or knowing who is and is not vaccinated? Is it, as the left likes to call it, self-identified? Or did they track people when people got the shots? Or do they just interview people and say, uh, are you or are you not vaccinated or boosted or whatever? Right. And see that see, you bring up a really good point, because what this is doing is it's making healthcare practitioners kind of agents of the government, because, oh, yeah. you know, you you know, you want your doctor to know what's going on with you medically. So you and yeah. he can together decide what you need. 
right? And now we have Big Brother coming in there to the exam right. room, and no longer, you know, it's uh, it's it's absolutely against the law for uh-huh. for me to delve into your private medical concerns or vice versa, right? But suddenly, but it's perfectly okay for Big Brother to come in. And, yeah, well, and Big Brother has. Big Brother has been there for a long time, and uh, many people were suspicious about HIPAA doing the exact opposite of what it claimed right. to do early on. Uh, you know, we're going to protect your privacy, and but they're not going to protect your privacy from the government, the one that has the most malicious intent, it appears, uh, by many of us. But here's the question. When people got vaccinated, and they got vaccinated in lots of places and sure all over the place in different arenas, was that when people were tracked or are uh, professionals asking people uh, if they're vaxxed, which is not necessarily, it's kind of like saying, do you have a gun in the house to identify who's pro and who's anti-Second Amendment? Um, Is that how they're doing it is by self-identification? That's what, you know, that, that's a great point. And probably what's happening is, you know, you go, you go to your doctor and one of the questions that they ask you when you're getting, when they're getting your vitals, have you been vaccinated? You know, if somebody said, yes, I've, I've been fully boosted, they'd probably ask for proof before, um, before coding you, you know, coding you as someone who's vaccinated. Huh. So um, I don't know. I don't know how specific. I mean, we're talking about a lot of different healthcare providers, so there could be uh, yeah. different, different. And, and there's a story, even though this is a little off the beaten track, there are stories I've heard now of Hollywood elites who publicly proclaimed that they were pro-vax, but privately they paid lots of money for phony vax certificates, which in my yeah. opinion is among the most despicable of things. So let's see safety for me and you get to be a, an experiment, yeah. right? Right. Uh, exactly. It's it is it's just, very hypocritical. There's a big market for that sort of thing today because evidently people anticipated that the government would have a, a, not a prurient, but a very uh, unwholesome interest in who did and who didn't, and now on May 11th, uh, they've gotten rid of the vax mandate. So isn't that a point on which you could say, why does it matter when there's no longer a vax mandate anyway? Exactly. And, and two, you have to think, OK, we are putting we're we're letting the federal government dictate our health care. Look at what the DOJ is coming in and doing in these states that are now passing these laws against gender mutilation of minors. The DOJ is now coming in and suing each of those states because saying they're violating the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, Mm. the Equal Protection Clause and the Due Process Clause and the First Amendment. They're saying you're violating the First Amendment of the Constitution because you're restricting what a doctor can talk about his patient to. Oh, I'm so sorry that we're out of time. (laughs) Um, Oh, I'm so sorry. It's a huge issue we tried to tackle Rebecca Terrell, can people find this article and they can read it and know more about you at The New American, correct? Blacklisting the Unvaccinated. Very good. Rebecca Terrell, T-E-R-R-E-L-L. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back after this short break with another couple of super guests. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show on the Main Street Radio Network.
From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools... Suddenly, everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. (laughs) I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably... Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Ellen Nathan Show. I'm Karen Cataline, and I love having... Uh, such a variety of guests with a variety of issues. I have been looking forward to this guest uh, for quite a while. I requested him to come on the program, and he has written a piece that is a big bingo, if you will, uh, uh, bullseye, whatever you want to call it, and I can't wait to talk to him. His name is Scott Powell. You've heard him on this program quite a bit and on my program, Spouting Off, Senior Fellow at the Discovery Institute and a Fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution. His latest book is Rediscovering America. Scott Powell joins us now on the Alan Nathan program. Thanks for coming on the show. Karen, it's a delight to be with you. Great to have you. You wrote a piece uh, that I just want to cut to the chase because we all get involved in trying to give the reason why we're in trouble and you lay it out perfectly, but then you get to the chase. It, your article is no longer conspiracy theory, time for action, government betrayal of the constitution. And forgive me while I simply very quickly write, read one of your last paragraphs, no nation, can survive when its government deceives and corrupts its people, denying them the ability to make good political economic choices. I don't want to take any more time. What's needed is the courage to act. Please talk about that uh, specifically, how we act, what we must do to save this country. And it's too often we talk about everything that's going on. Let's talk positive. You're one of the most positive people I've seen, and you're getting down and dirty, so let's do it. (laughs) <laughs> well, Karen, I mean, acting starts at at our personal level, uh, really, truly the most the most local level. So we, you know, we want to live uh, by truth. Uh, we want to treat people uh, with respect and be tolerant. We want to be models, if you will. Uh, but where there is injustice uh, and there's wrongdoing, we need to say no and push back very strongly. So. For instance, I'm involved with the Broward County School Board here in Florida. I helped get a candidate elected that is a conservative Christian lawyer who, even if even if we don't have a majority on the board, she can really stop a lot of bad things from happening because that's really so often what we're seeing now is if we could just stop the harm that's being done, 
Yes. then we would have accomplished a lot. I mean, we'd like to think you can all you could replace the harm with good. And eventually, I think we will do that. But at least let's stop the harm. You know, part of wisdom in living is do no harm, right? Yeah. <laughs> you may not. And that's not being good, violated, no too. The Hippocratic yeah. Oath in the medical profession, which we're not going to go down that road, is also being violated. You are the one that talks about demoralization of the country. I'll just say this and ask you. I have often said when, when people give kind of weak suggestions about, oh, you know, just vote right. And I say, mm, the horse has left the barn. The arsonists are in charge of the fire brigade. What do you do when the arsonists are in charge of the fire brigade? Well, we have to, I mean, as journalists, we, we, we need to encourage truth-telling to expose this. And that's yes. what I do. And there are many others. I mean, we have a growing cadre of responsible reporters, uh, chroniclers, if you will. Uh, of course, they're not found in the major media. So all your, and I'm sure most of your listeners understand that, that they are not going to find the truth of what's going on uh, in the major media. They've got to search for it in the alternative media, but there's a wealth of well, there's a wealth there. There's so many, uh, such a variety of different levels of expertise on different subjects. Um, I would say though that getting back to what do we do if we thought on a bigger level, and I think it's time to think bigger, and that is an action item. A precedent has now been set where a Manhattan attorney general has hauled the former president of the United States to a New York court where he is indicted, arraigned, and, and being indicted uh, to, to be tried, if you will, for supposed crimes. We know that there's going to be that, – that really there's no way that there's going to be an adjudication of any substance against Donald Trump. But it's, it was done to create – and we'll see more after this. I think they would like to have Donald Trump in a series of cases against him that make him look yes. bad uh, and, and, you know, have lots of media attention right up to the, the, the 24 sure. election. I think, I think that's the game plan. Sure. OK, yeah. but, but we're 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 hip. We're wise and hip to all that. And it's not really going to work. And in fact, it may backfire. But I think the precedent that's been set is that. <clears throat> A faraway court, a small court, can haul someone of stature before it. <laughs> How about we get attorneys generals from Texas and other states that have solid attorney generals to do the same thing with Biden administration officials? Why doesn't Paxton, the attorney general of Texas, indict and arraign uh, Homeland Security um, Secretary Mayorkas uh, before the court mm -hmm. for violating his oath of office. Yeah. Oh, that's to... horrible. What a terrible thing to do. No, it's not. <laughs> for fa failing to protect uh, the American people, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, and he could be in, he could be charged with being an accomplice of murder through fentanyl trafficking, right? A lot of people mm -hmm. are dying from that. So, I think we should do this. I think it's high time that we, you know, that, that we uh, build, you know, we use the precedent of our of our opposition uh, to be aggressive because it, you, we can't just talk about this stuff. 
um, we need to take some action and strong action. So I, yeah. I, that's just a I suggestion. I love hearing that. And, and uh, if you have any line <laughs> to Ken Paxton, uh, because uh, as I understand it, Greg, uh, the governor, is not nearly as strong as uh, Paxton is, not even close. He's more of an establishment Republican. In our few minutes left, Scott Powell, I wish I had more time. I, um, a lot of people who have what I call the curse of awareness, and I've asked you this before, you're not a Pollyanna, but you are optimistic. So can you give a bright light to those people who see what's going on? They're horrified by what's going on, and they're practically despondent about what's going on. Well, that's natural, and that's that's where the enemy wants to have everyone. I mean, one one of the uh, the old communist uh, strategies was always the first stage of taking over a, a country or a, a culture or society is to demoralize the culture. So, we have been in stages of demoralization for decades now, and yet we're very resilient people. Uh, so we don't we don't allow ourselves to get demoralized. We find our our power in life through our, our faith. You know, God gave us this life. God has the ultimate say. God is going to be victorious. Truth is going to triumph over falsehood. We know that. that, were, that were, those were some of Tucker uh, Carlson's last words. Wasn't it, <laughs> though? A, we hope talk. not the very last. <laughs> no, no. His but last you're right. Words, Uh, At the end of his career at at Fox, he said, I think it was to a Heritage Foundation gathering, he made it very clear that truth triumphs over lies, that lies don't, cannot defeat truth. And I I agree with that. So I, but what gives me hope about America is I know a lot about its, its founding. And we are a, a remarkable country. We are a unique country in all of human history in some simple ways. For instance, we're the only country that was established to, uh, to put in place a government whose primary job was to protect the rights of the people. So we mm-hmm. have to reclaim those because our current yeah. government is not protecting our rights. But they're no, there they, constitutionally. They seem malicious in their intent to take them away. I know. Um, God, yeah. I love having you on because the you know these big questions are where it's at, and it looks like you you know you you are talking about that. Tell everybody how they can find your book, um, uh, Rediscovering sure, sure. America, and how they can find you. Well, first, uh, let me just tell the audience: the book is a wonderful read. I, I almost can guarantee that it'll be one of the top two short histories of America that you've ever read, and you will learn so much that is edifying and uplifting. It, it's, it's a book of hope for these troubled times. It's really kind of a user's manual for our country that if we can mm. re, re, recover uh, and, and gain an appreciation from the, the, the great challenges that we face at every stage of our history, really, this is a great challenge right now. It may be the greatest challenge that we face. But Scott we'll, Powell. We, we will triumph. So the book's Keep at Amazon, Rediscovering Amazon. America. Yes. And you can read the reviews there and make a decision whether it's right for you. But it, but it is truly a great read, and it's short. So for people who don't like to pick up books, it's an ideal yeah. book. <laughs> Scott, uh, keep up the great work. You are a light in a dark, dark, in many, many dark places. We appreciate you so much. 
Well, we will wrap up the show with one more guest. I'll tell you about him when we come back. Don't go away. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. 
I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back to the Ellen Nathan Show. We wrap up the show today. I'm Karen Cataline, by the way. You can find me at karencataline.com. Thanks to everyone. Uh, we're not done yet, but thanks to everyone who makes the show possible. It is a pleasure and an honor to be part of the team here at the Main Street Radio Network. Um, we are going to wrap up the show with a little discussion about what is going on with the banks Nobody better than Seton Motley, founder and president of Less Government. He is a consultant, writer, television and radio commentary, commentator, political and policy strategist, lecturer, debater, and activist. Welcome, Seton, to the show. We so appreciate your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, apparently, uh, Washington, D.C. seized... The First Republic Bank. I don't know if a lot of people know that and flipped it over to their crony, J.P. Morgan. Most people have their hands full with massive inflation, putting food on the table. They may have missed this story. So why don't you enlighten us? Well, you know, I, I, I subject myself to CNBC in the morning, you know, the NBC's version of uh, alleged financial news. And they were talking about this transaction, this double transaction. And I'm just screaming the TV going, does no one, is no one aware of how, what a crony capitalist crap move this is? I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, yeah. they, they, they seized the bank on their own. You know, trust us, it's, it's bankrupt. Trust us, it needs to be seized. Now, remember, they seized a signature bank right after Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. And they just seized it and said, this is very necessary. Now, I'm not a big Barney Frank fan, but Barney Frank, the former congressman who's on the board of Signature Bank, said, this bank wasn't in trouble. This bank just did cryptocurrency, and, and the government doesn't like that, so they seized the bank. Well, now they've just unilaterally said, oh, this was in trouble. We're seizing it again. We're seizing another one, and we're going to turn around and, and, and sell it to J.P. Morgan who's, of course, a, one of the alleged too-big-to-fail banks that got 30% bigger after Dodd-Frank was supposed to end too-big-to-fail. They got a bailout uh, after 2008, 
then then they get thirty percent bigger because they help write Dodd Frank, and now they're just hey we'll just we'll take over uh, Signature Bank, and no one says boo, no one says you know no one raises any questions about this. Oh hey, perhaps this shouldn't have happened the way it happened, and we're supposed to just trust the uh, the, the the regulators, the federal regulators. You know, the ones that said that there was Trump-Russia collusion and the one that said you have to take a COVID vaccine and the one that said it was worse than the Spanish flu. You know, the same people who have been lying to us for decades just unilaterally declared Signature, uh, I mean, um, First Republic Bank dead and just grabbed it and handed it to J.D. Morgan. I mean, can someone besides me please raise the question of whether or not this was a legitimate transaction on both ends. I don't yeah. think it's legitimate either. Yeah. And, you know, we used to use a lot of buzzwords and slogans. Conservatives did. You know, we don't want the government picking winners and losers, right? Right. They're right. not just picking winners and losers. There's, they're creating winners and losers. Right. Um, right. So right. isn't this... Isn't this like uh, creating a central bank, which our founders warned us against? Right. I mean, any look, the entire Federal Reserve is just completely absurd to me. You know, this was this was twenty years ago, thirty years ago, when you said that. Of course, you were a tinfoil hat nut job. One of my favorite memes of the last couple of months was hey, keeping score, but the conspiracy theorists are up thirty-seven to nothing. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, just well, wait a while. Well, it won't be a conspiracy theory much longer. Right. Well, <laughs> Doobie Bro- the Doobie Brothers in the 70s had an album that was called What Were Once Vices Have Now Become Habits. And, and <laughs> uh, you, 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 you can alter that to What Were Once Conspiracy Theories Are Now News Stories. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, the Federal Reserve is completely absurd. These unilaterally create... I had this argument with a lot of these regulatory agencies where they're you know, they're independent of the government. Well, then they're a fourth branch of government, and they're unconstitutional because the Constitution only creates three branches of government. They have to answer to somebody in one of the three branches. And, of course, if you're an executive branch agency, you're supposed to answer the president. But, you know, the, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is completely supposed to be autonomous, I and mean, that's unconstitutional, and they can fund themselves, and that's unconstitutional. Uh, you know, yeah. you got the federal the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, the Federal Trade Commission, all these agencies that are supposedly autonomous. They're not supposed to be autonomous. They're supposed to be answerable to one of the three branches. And they're not. And and this, like, and they're not. And the Federal Reserve, same thing. These these, these 19, I think there's 17. There's five uh, board members. There's 12 board members and seven uh, branch presidents. I don't know. I think it's 19. And these guys don't answer to anybody. And they they just, hey, we've decided that First Republic Bank is dead, and we have to go seize it now. And then we're going to sell it to J.P. Morgan under some Uh ridiculous terms that that make sense to no one except J.P. Morgan. Now, who was it exactly, the entity, that actually seized the bank? Which of the alphabet agencies did that? Well, I'm assuming it's the Federal Reserve. I I mean, that's the Uh only, I mean, they're the ones that... they're the ones that declared First Republic dead. So then they seize it and say, it's dead, we're seizing it. And now we're handing it, you know, now we're cutting this deal where 
J.P. Morgan gets this ridiculous loans from the uh, FDIC as a, as a payment for for bailing out Signature. And you know, my first question is, did it need bailing out? Uh, I mean, we know we know Silicon Valley Bank had done some stupid, seriously stupid stuff. I never saw any description of, of Signature Bank that made me think, yeah, that was that was dead and needed to go away. And I and, and likewise with. Um, First Republic. It's dead. Okay, is anyone going to ask the Federal Reserve to explain why it's dead and why, and justify its move to to take it over and just you know nationalize it? Uh, that, that's what happened. They nationalized two banks, three banks. Uh, okay, ex- explain it to me. Why? You know wh- uh, what's wrong with these banks that they required nationalization? Well, and don't we really have to talk about the motive for nationalizing them in the first place? I mean, <laughs> you know, we rarely do that. Doggone it, we are out of time. I guess I have to have that question hanging out there. How do people find more on you, Seton Motley? Please go to, to lessgovernment.org. It's a Substack page. You sign up. You can sign up for free. And unlike Google and Facebook, we don't sell your data. Okay, Seton Motley, we've got to end it there. Thank you for joining us here on the Main Street Radio Network and the Alan Nathan Show. Take care. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.